Good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are. This is Chris. And uh, so I've presented here uh, today um, a recording, not all that good a recording, of a keynote presentation I was asked to do to an audience, to a corporate group, on the topic of gratitude. It's quite disarming for me when uh, one piece of the cherry picking tree, the cherry tree is is being asked to be spoken about so I'm very guarded about taking one small fragment of truth and speaking about it as if it is a, a silver bullet so I presented the four dangers of gratitude in order to exemplify gratitude as not a silver bullet or a standalone commodity in the world but something you do in conjunction with other things Gratitude explains only one of the four, of the five laws of nature. Gratitude is it goes to centralize the fourth law, the law of harmony, or the law of vibration, as it's called. And the law of vibration means that everything in the universe vibrates. Um, we are attracted to vibrations of our own kind, and the vibration of our thoughts is very much determined by a group of um, uh, variables, we, we often use the acronym GIVE, but the vibration of our thought is determined by the amount of balance we can see in anything we're thinking about, um, the amount of uh, uh, gratitude we have for that thing that we see balance in, and therefore the more up the consciousness cone we go in thought. Now, this is like a playing a piano. If, you, if, you, if you're grateful... Um, you hit the high note and you're grateful for something at the high end of the piano, you can stamp the piano as hard as you want and make those uh, high notes sound loud. You can go down the other end of the piano and be grateful for the low notes. And to, to encourage people to be grateful for elation and grateful for infatuation and grateful for attraction and ignore the other four universal laws of nature is tantamount to sending people uh, winding their watch on the way to the gallows. It's uh, ridiculous. And so in a, in a presentation that's being done in a, in a way to, to theme a day, to help a client theme a day, I also need to be consciously presenting the fact that there are four other universal laws without sort of upsetting the theme of the day. So I want you to listen to this um, gratitude uh, recording in the context of one of the five universal laws. Remember the first law, bring your thoughts to balance. Bring your thought. Nature's seeking a balance in all things. Bring your thoughts to balance. Two, get comfortable being challenged because not all your thoughts are right. So to get righteous about your thoughts is going to make you absolutely rock solid, freezing cold, sensitive to any dysfunction. And so we end up, uh, if we don't uh, embrace the concept of evolution, we evolve at the border of chaos and order, we evolve at the border of support and challenge. Now, our thoughts are not who we are. We are not our thoughts. We are not our work. And every time we get attached to something, we get attached to one side of that mathematics. We say, I want to be attached to getting it right. I want to be attached to order. I want to be attached to support. And I resent the opposite. The third law is that nothing's missing. 
And so every time we say, I need something, I want something, uh, I'm grateful for getting something, every time we reach out, we make a big mistake because abundance exists where we stand. And thankful for what we've got rather than thankful for what we're getting becomes a very huge part of well-balanced thinking. We talk about it all the time. Balance, centered, calm. Balance, centered, calm. The fourth law is gratitude and the and the balancing of thoughts to bring them back to gratitude. And the fifth law is the fact that you have a purpose, you have a vision, you have goals, you step those down through a transformative process into daily actions in order to arrive in this moment in time inspired. So the four, the five universal laws of nature go hand in hand. We can't talk about balance without talking about evolution. We can't talk about evolution without talking about um, um, abundance. We can't talk about abundance without talking about harmony. We can't talk about harmony without understanding the concept of consciousness and the hierarchy of consciousness, having a purpose, having a vision, having goals, having seven areas of life, having balance in all of them. And so take that, take that little preamble that I'm giving you now and please enjoy the audio um, of the presentation done with my iPhone sitting on a desk nearby. Bye for now. I just would like to take you on a bit of a tangent for a minute and ask you all to trust me a bit and close your eyes. Just close your eyes. I'm going to take you on a bit of a story. People waking up in the morning happy, healthy, looking forward to giving their families everything they've got, stepping up, stepping into their work with a smile, sharing kindness at work, being compassionate and caring and yet driven and motivated, doing a day's work and coming home with more energy than they left with in the morning to give to their family, doing a little bit of exercise somewhere along the line, laughing a lot, recovering from illness quickly, sharing the love that they have in their heart with as many people as possible. And if you just slowly now open your eyes, that's the dream I had when I was 14 years old. When I was 14 years old, I had already stolen 200 cars. I was a delinquent thug. But I had that dream because I lived in an alcoholic, violent, my mother had been killed, I'd lived, I lived in a pretty tough environment when I was a kid. And I had this picture and I picked up a book one day and it talked about, I think I was 14 at school, I picked up this book by a guy called Ehrlich and it talked about environmental destruction, about how we're birthing too many people and eating too many apples and putting too many chemicals in the ground. And I said, that's going to be my mantra. I'm going to fight for a better environment. By the time I was 30, I'd built one of Australia's and some, some people would say one of the world's biggest environmental engineering firms. This company, Lua, specialised in hot gas. I'd even studied at university, I'm dyslexic, cheated my way through university, got an environmental engineering degree and patented a hot gas scrubbing system which could eliminate a lot of noxic fume from factories all over the world. It was famous, it was going around the planet and I was in the in um, Blue Circle Southern Cement, just down the road in New South Wales, at Berrimah, 
and I'm talking to the client, I had this big business, big family, everything's going great, and I'm talking to the client and I said, I had dinner with you last night at your house and the dust that was blowing through the window, you know that's carcinogenic, it's coming off your cement plant down the road. And he goes, yeah, yeah, I know. And it's blowing in your house. He goes, yeah, yeah, I know. And I said, I'm doing your air pollution systems. He goes, yeah, yeah, I know. And I said, for $50,000 more on a $4 million contract, I can take that dust out. And he said, it's too much. And I burst into tears, like a little baby. <coughs> I suddenly realized I was wasting my time. I was trying to change the environment around us, but it was really the individual who was there sitting in that chair that was in control of the environment. So I quit the business, sold it. I got a divorce and went back to uni. And I don't know which of the three happened first, but I can say that was the sequence. And I studied in um, behavioral science. How do you make people think different? How do you make business leaders operate differently? So I did this thing, started, did the uni course, set up a consulting firm, and we did 280 contracts around the planet changing the culture of business. So I'm on it. I'm going to change the way people think, changing the culture of business. After 280 contracts globally, living in New York, working on it, I go, this isn't working. I'm changing cultures, but nothing's really changing. The decisions are still not serving humanity. So I said, right, I'm gonna slow up on that. I'm gonna to go to Canada and work with indigenous populations right throughout Canada and change the environment the kids are growing up in where they are suiciding. So I got a contract from the Canadian government to work right throughout youth at risk, where they give you 30 kids, they know 28 of them are gonna commit suicide by the end of 12 months, and they give you the 30 kids that they have a way of working out who they're gonna be, and say, if you can make it 27, you've done a great job. For five years, I worked pro bono across Canada, over and over again, trying to change the environment. But these kids went home to homes that didn't change. So no matter how hard I worked on the kids, the homes were the same environment. So I said, that's not going to work. So I sold the consulting firm and I started going to India and Nepal. And I started studying the human body. How do you make people individually feel different? And I studied and studied that like yoga and meditation in the Himalayas, 60 trips to Nepal, into the Himalayas. Took people with me, studied with monks, meditated, went to Japan, did Zen. Built four yoga schools around the world, including two in New York, two in Sydney. Still didn't work. I still haven't found the solution. And so I then, and only then, started working on the mind. And I became a global expert in one word, and that is gratitude. Because if the guy in the cement plant had had gratitude for what he got, he would have changed his mind he would have spent $50,000. And if the families had gratitude for what they've got in Canada, they would have changed their mind. And so I got this word and I suddenly realized the key to individual and the key to that dream that I had as a kid when I was 14 was thankfulness. What a, what a trip. And here I am now working with people, beautiful people all over the world talking about gratitude. It's called life coaching or business coaching.
boy, oh boy, what a trip, what a journey. And I'm still doing it 35 books later. So it's not a success story, five marriages, by the way. It's not all, it's not all gratitude all the way along. I learned by my mistakes, that's the truth. So I've never learned anything from a book. I can honestly say that. I have stumbled and bumbled and fallen all my way through life. But when I look back on it, everything was teaching me one thing, how to be more grateful. A grateful person is a healthy person and heals faster. A grateful person turns up in the moment faster. A grateful person is more healthy. A grateful person is a better leader. And so the science of gratitude is what I'm here to talk to you about today with that background story. Is that okay for me to talk about that one little thing, gratitude? Yes? I, I, I know you do brilliant work, but this might just be a gram of flavouring to add to the soup. So what I want to talk about in terms of gratitude is the four mistakes people make when they think gratitude. Does everybody understand what gratitude does for you? Can, you, can I have a show of hands? You've heard the word before. You've heard Oprah and everyone. You understand gratitude, yeah? You understand what it means? So there are four big mistakes people make, and I think we really need to talk about this as a group because those four mistakes can make gratitude into a health. Right? So you find a lot of people who know about gratitude going in the wrong direction. They're very grateful for the things that aren't necessarily the things they need to be grateful for. So I want to talk about the first one so that you can, in your exercises today, get the gist of what we're talking about when we say the word gratitude. Is that okay with you all? So we really, it's the science of gratitude, not just, it's not just a placebo, you know, let's be grateful. The first one and the most important one is people tend to be grateful for big things. They tend to be grateful for big things. We wait for something important to happen. I got over COVID, or I did this, or I got a pay rise, or I got, uh, my child got better. Big things. We wait for big things to be grateful. But a thankful person is thankful for the tiniest, weeniest, itsy bitsy, tiny, weeny, eeny, weeny, infinitesimally trivial, insignificant thing. Like the tablecloth on the table. Somebody ironed it. Thank you. The cups are clean. The coffee's been made. It's warm. The room temperature can change with the door being open. The seats are comfortable. Gratitude for little things is the secret to gratitude not the big things. And we all need to take stock because sometimes we lose the plot and we go grumble, 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 grumble. Come on, kids, get your school bag. We're off to school. Instead of saying, thank you for the school bag. Thank you for the shoes you got on. Thank you for the socks. Thank you for making your bed. Thank you for getting up. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. So a grateful person, a really inspired grateful person is absolutely thankful for the tiniest thing, the clean windows that we take for granted the beautiful water that we don't take for granted because it's so big, but the fact that the wind isn't blowing through the window and chilling us down, we can be complacent. Complacency is the enemy of gratitude. And the way to overcome complacency is to find the smallest things you can be grateful for and not take them for granted. I didn't cut myself shaving this morning. Grateful for the sharp razor. You know, and it's easy to say, well, that's to be expected. 
But no, if you have a blunt razor and cut yourself, you'll scream and shout and go, well, the guys will anyway, scream and shout and go, damn, you know, like that. So it's very important to get grateful for small, small, small things. When I take people up in the Himalayas, when do people fall? Have a guess. Come on, come on guys, but just guess, try. Huh? At the beginning. At the start. At the start? Near the destination. Near the destination, keep going. When do people fall? When they can't go any further. When they can't go any further. They fall when they start looking to the end to be thankful. So they start saying this, it's motivation technique. They look at the top and go, when I get there, I'm going to be on top of the world. And the leaders who lead groups in Nepal encourage it. They say, when you get to the top of this hill, there's a warm bed, there's a cup of coffee, there's lunch, there's a thing going on and you can chillax. And the person starts looking up to where they're going and forgetting where, forgetting where they are. And if I get a person in, in a, going up to Himalayas, get stuck somewhere, what do I do? The technique is very simple. It's called leadership. I say, don't worry about where you're going. Don't worry about that. Look down at your feet. Just be grateful for the next step. Be grateful for that little ant. Be grateful for the yak poo. Be grateful you didn't step in it. Be grateful you did step in it. Because the, the Sherpa people up in the Himalayas say, if you step in a yak poo, it's good luck. Which is convenient, if you know what I mean. <laughs> it's a reframe that works, because you often do. So the way I get a person up the hill, the way I lead a group, is one molecule at a time. Infinitely small amounts of gratitude. Right? And the they always fall when they start, I see them, they start looking up to where is, and they, where is it? How far is it? And I always tease the hell out of people. I'm a bit of a devil like that. And I say, it's another five hours, at least another five hours going up when it, I really know it's half an hour. Now, I'd rather surprise them and get there early than, you know, than say it's only half an hour and then they go, oh, it's longer than half an hour. You told me half an hour. Oh, no. <laughs> So that's the first step in gratitude, small, small, infinitesimally small things to overcome what's called complacency. The next big mistake people make when it comes to gratitude is they start thanking the future. Big mistake. You say, I'm looking forward to Christmas. I'm looking forward to a holiday. I'm looking forward to a break. I'm looking forward. And a person starts getting thankful for where they're not. It's, it's, how easy is that, right? Start, and you say, I'm a really thankful person. I'm thankful for where I'm going. But that's the worst thing. You know how they catch monkeys in Asia back in the old days? You know how they used to do it? They used to get a coconut, chain the coconut to a tree. They'd put a, a banana in the coconut the monkey would put its hand in, close its hand on the coconut, on the, on the, on the uh, banana, and they couldn't get the hand out. And even with a person approaching with a club that's going to hurt the little monkey, it didn't have the wisdom to let go the banana. And that's how they caught monkeys. And that's how people get caught. They reach up for the future. They think, oh, I'm going to be... I'm going to get more pay next year. I'm going to be on holidays next year. I'm going to do this next year. They reach up 
they grab hold of the banana in the coconut and they can't get out and they can't get back to now. We have to be really, really careful not to become thankful for the future, but instead become thankful for what? Where we are. And that's the quote that none of you understood from the, from the board that Simon put up. I want nothing, I need nothing, I have everything. In other words, be here now. No matter how good or bad your circumstances, there's an opportunity to be thankful for what you've got right now, right in this moment. No matter what the boss is doing, no matter what the company's doing, no matter what the people are doing, no matter what the environment's doing, we get thankful for what we've got. We have just learnt one of the greatest miracles of happiness. It's a very old Zen saying. It, it goes something like this. I can't understand Western people. They always want what they haven't got. But why don't they want what they've got and they'll find happiness? Now that's emotionally, mentally, financially, physically, everything. So the second mistake people make in gratitude is being grateful for the future, which is basically grabbing hold of the banana in the coconut and you can't get away from it. And that is a big mistake when it comes to the topic of gratitude. Knowing you have a coconut, knowing there is a banana inside, that's important, having a vision. I do vision quests. Having that there, don't put your hand and grab it. Grab the present with both hands. The third, um, the third mistake people make with gratitude is they chest beat. Look how clever I am, and I'm so grateful for being, for what I just achieved. Chest beating, taking credit. One of the things that you learn from, as I have, from traveling around and banging against brick walls, is the purpose of gratitude, why it's so important to us, is because you pay it to somebody. You give it. You're thankful to the company, you're thankful to the universe, you're thankful to God or whatever you call that bigger power. You're thankful to something else, but you never start thanking yourself. Yet most people do. Look what I've done. Look what, I'm so thankful that I did this. I'm so thankful. And that is the complete inside out of gratitude. The upside downing of gratitude is thanking yourself. The purpose of it is to give it. The giving of gratitude is probably one of the greatest kindnesses you can give to any human being on the planet. That is worth more than all the money in, in, in the world. Giving thanks. Giving thanks to your organization, giving thanks to Whatever you like, it doesn't matter as long as you don't own, take credit and beat your own chest with, with gratitude. Are there any questions so far from this? I know we're, uh, we're, we're going to finish right on time. Oh, have you? Damn. I've been rushing through this to get finished on time. So that's three of the dangers of un unscientific gratitude the fourth one's really complicated when we become disingenuous when we when we become as an individual uh, fragmented it's because we start thanking things that separate us from other people and we have to be really mindful that we don't start taking the Gatorade, drinking the poison, 
by being thankful. So this is a little more complicated. There are four things that separate us from other people. The first one is uh, right and wrong. I'm right, you're wrong. And if you're thankful for you being right, you've just separated yourself from someone else and accused them of being wrong. And there's nothing takes a person down into their animal self faster, into the animal self faster than being right. Righteousness. So if you start celebrating righteousness with gratitude, you may be taking yourself down to your gorilla ancestry. <laughs> Getting hold of the coconut at the same time, one hand. That's the first one. We are not, it is not right and wrong. It's our choice what we do. But being righteous, that's a, not a healthy thing to be thankful for. The second one is really interesting when you work with First Nation people in Canada, as I have, and that is pleasure over pain. The minute you start celebrating gratitude for pleasure, the inference of it is that in that pleasure, there is no pain. And there's no faster path to depression than that thought. So I do in my coaching, I work with people who've got severe depression and have had it for a long period of time. And it's the pursuit of pleasure. If it's not a chronic birth defect or whatever you call it, inherited. Typically what sends a person into depression is the pursuit of pleasure in the expectation that that pleasure will exist without a pain involved. And the disappointment that comes from finding out that there's a pain where they went causes depression. And I can actually help people, I don't solve it, but I can help people wind that propensity to seek pleasure, avoid pain, I can wind it back to say, can you see that there's going to be discomfort in that pleasure you're chasing? You know, getting to the top of the business, getting to the top of this, winning that, getting that. Can you see there is also a discomfort? You know, just ask a wealthy person, someone who said, I always want to be wealthy, and they get all that money, and they get depressed because it's so hard keeping it. And you can't imagine that when you don't have hundreds of millions of dollars. But I coach billionaires, and those poor people, they're so depressed because they thought when they got a billion dollars, it was, it was Nirvana's coming, you know, I'll be... I'll be on heaven, everybody will love me, my partner will never leave me, the world will never criticise me, and I'll be happy forever after. And it's not that way, it's the opposite. So that's the second sep uh, thing, the second separation that we would be wise not to be grateful for, to say, I'm going to have more pleasure and pain. The third one is self versus other. Up on Ben Buckler, where I go every day up on the beach, up on the, on the cliff, there's a thing carved into the concrete and it says, I am better than no man and no man is better than me. It's a nice old quote. I don't know when they built that concrete thing, but it's really clever. And I assume women, it's the same, right? It was probably written in a time where you were allowed to say man slash woman. It was written in an old language. But I'm assuming it means the same for everybody. It means I'm better than no person and no person is better than me. 
If we celebrate winning against somebody and thinking that that has made us superior to them, it will separate us. Separate us from ourselves. There'll be an inner self and an outer self, but there'll all be also be an other. And if we become more separate to people, we become more sad. So gratitude for separation or being better than or, or even gratitude for being even more humble than or whatever it is, separation, it's really unwise. It takes us down, not up in life. And the last one is controversial. So I have it to last. And the last one is the separation between masculine and feminine. You see, in every human being, there are a set of values. We have values. A masculine values are, not male, I didn't say male, before anybody jumps on uh, Masculine values are mind, money, and career. Masculine values. Feminine values are health, relationship, and social life. They're feminine values, not female. And any human being in any human body can organize those values in any sequence they want. They can say, number one for me is career, and number two is family, and number three is health, and number four is social, and number five is uh, mental, and they can reorganize. We can reorganize them. So every person has the ability to have masculine values and feminine values in any sequence they want. When we start saying, I'll be the masculine half of, of an equation with a human being, whether you're female or male, it doesn't matter. I'll be the masculine values. If you be the feminine values, we become what's called codependent. That means we depend on another person to fill up what's empty in our focus and we depend on them to bring that part of themselves to the table, their masculine or feminine qualities, while we deliver our opposite half and we become codependent and it's the fastest path to the end of a relationship possible the very thing we do to bond with another person you did it you have the feminine values i'll have the masculine or i'll have the feminine you have the masculine the very thing we do to try and organize a relationship blows it because codependency in the universe or in nature is is not going to function so Gratitude for being masculine values or gratitude for being feminine values is really unhealthy because it just drives, drives your value chain way apart from yourself. You have masculine and feminine values. There's just hierarchy. If you understand what I mean, there's just the most important one to you, the second most important one to you. And it's not categorized by what sort of body you're in, whether you're in a male body or female, but it's, it's irrelevant. You need to know your own values. If a person works on their lowest value and they're thankful for working on their lowest value, their self-worth goes down. So it's very important for you all in this room at some stage, I don't know if you do it in the company, Simon, does anyone do personal values in the company? Intrinsic, extrinsic? It's probably the next phase of get someone in to... Yeah, it's the most... When someone says, know yourself, you hear the quote, know thyself, they mean know your values. Once you are born 
the first second you come out and the first three years of your life, they're your values. And your whole life will go to the end with those values. Now you have all seven areas of life. There are seven areas of life and you have them all, but you will prioritize three. A healthy person knows the seven, values the seven, recognizes themselves as seven, knows what their lowest value is, still owns it, still owns their masculine or feminine value at the bottom of the pile, while they actually can understand their priorities. An example might be a father might value relationship, which is a feminine value, highest, and say, I go to work so that I can get enough lifestyle to spend more time with my family, right? So that's a masculine, a male with a feminine value at the highest, still goes and does their lowest value, goes to work. They might say work is the least thing I wanna do, but I do it because I can link it to my highest value and then their self-worth goes up. But if that person goes to work, their highest value is relationship, for example, their highest value, family, and they go to work and they can't link going to work to their highest value, they'll sabotage their work. We sabotage anything we can't link to our highest value. And so when it comes to being thankful, it's really important not to start getting thankful for you working really hard on your lowest value because that actually is taking you in the wrong direction. Thankful means linking the lowest value in your life to the highest value in your life so you, so you get a, be a better version of yourself. You build your self-worth and your self-worth automatically translates into your worth to the world, to the worth to yourself, to the worth in money, to the worth to a relationship, to your worth. So we have to be very conscious of our value chain and know what's at the bottom and rather than become, say, well, I'll depend on you to live my lowest values and I will live my highest. We, we say, I, I, I honour your value set to another person. I honour your top to bottom and I honour mine and I am accountable for my value chain. If I have a low value, I will link it to my highest one, second lowest to the highest one. And we, we create the construction of a healthy life. That's the core of gratitude. Are there any questions about the four mistakes? I've actually written them on a piece of paper here and I don't know if I've printed enough copies, but I've printed 10. So someone sadly will be so. Are there any questions? Because if there's not, I'll take you to... I was called out on the fact that that's kind of what I'm 
been thinking about that for probably the best part of a week because it's exactly what you were, you know, talking to that, you know, when, when you fall into that trap of not being grateful for the, the great game, the, you know, the great shots, the, the fun you've had with people and you're focused on the win, you've kind of destroyed all that gratitude and goodwill and thankfulness and, and positive energy that should be coming out of that game. Yeah. Yeah, if, if, you, if you listen to television, I love bike riding, road, road racing. I love it, I do it, I love it, I, I do it all the time. And I listen to the Tour de France, but every time after the win, after every day, 21 days, they interview the winner and they say, how'd you go, what'd you do? And you, you'll hear it. The champions, when they get interviewed at the end of a bike ride, they go, oh, my team, without my team, I wouldn't be here, pay it forward. Um, it was an act of, it was a great act of luck, blessing, right? So they're not taking it, I didn't, you know, pow out. They are saying, but there's still 20 days to go or 15 days to go, anything can happen. They're not focused on the future, they're focused on the present, right? And they don't separate themselves in any of the four things. They don't get wound up with, oh, I'm so elated. They go, it was very good, I'm, I'm so thankful, this is a dream of mine come true, boom, boom, boom. But they do everything that I've talked about here. They avoid the four disasters of gratitude. And that's someone who would have every right, as Simon said, every right to be going, look at me. I've just you know, made a, I don't know, it's worth about $15 million to win one stage of the Tour de France. Plus, plus, plus fame. So it's really easy to get caught in the, the word gratitude and then throw it on everything, throw it on everything like it is a solution to everything. It's not, it's a science. And as I said, I started off as a 14 year old trying to change the environment, trying to change the world with that picture I painted inside your minds at the start of this presentation. And I started off trying to change the environment that didn't work as much as I wanted. I started changing cultures. That didn't work as much as I wanted. I started changing communities and environments. That didn't work as much as I wanted. I did the yoga schools and the Zen and the meditation. That didn't work. And finally I came, it's up here. This piece of territory, this is the environment. Every single one of us has an environment. The environment that we put on the pillow at night and fall asleep and calm down and go, and that is a sound of gratitude. The depth of your sleep is a sign of your gratitude. This is called an aura ring. Now it measures my sleep. It measures my weight too. So it measures me all the time. Am I ready for a day's work? Am I sleeping deep? Am I available for the depth? Am I available for the next day? The more grateful I am and the more profound I am before when I lay my head on the pillow and I think, I go, I do what I call the Madonna process. I work with Madonna in New York and she puts her, she goes back over the day um, in, in hour by hour. She goes, what happened in the last hour of my, this is her process. What happened in the last hour of my day, am I thankful? Yes. What happened in the hour before that, am I thankful? Oh yes. What happened in the hour before, and she goes back through the whole of her day, back one, one hour at a time. And I do this every night. I only get to about four hours and then I fall asleep, which is cool, right? 
But it's the way of making sure the day gone by is where your focus of your gratitude is. Focus, gratitude for the past is how you heal. When a couple splits up and they say goodbye to each other in a built-in relationship, the only way they split up in a healthy way is with gratitude for the journey they've had together and then the future they make their own. But until they say thank you to each other, thank you for the journey, they are still together because they're emotionally linked, booked. So gratitude for the past, and you can do that on a daily basis. Whenever you put your head on the pillow, you go one hour back, one hour back, and if you're still awake after 24 hours, you can go to the day before and check that that is gratitude or the day before, or the year before that. When I start working with people as a coach, the first thing I say to them, what's your relationship with your parents? First thing. Well, I get on better with somebody than I get on with my parents. Oh, they're coming for a thing tomorrow night and oh, I'm not looking forward to it. I go, they're the two electrical power points that you plug into the wall socket in America where you put two in the wall. Your parents are those two plugs and every other person you'll ever meet for the rest of your life is a derivative. So if you're grumpy at someone, that someone that you're grumpy with now is a derivative of something you were grumpy about in your parents. So I can catch people in their judgments and their ungratefulness by saying, what's your relationship with your parents? And most people have got a and a so they call, and that's why Christmas, there's more anger and everything around this time of the year for this when families get together. Do you know, speaking off on the side, I have friends who run restaurants, who own restaurants, clients and friends. And uh, my, my mate said to me, do you know the best day of the year in a restaurant? And I go, what's the best day of the year in a restaurant? He goes, Mother's Day. Everybody's happy. And like he said, what's the worst day of the year in a restaurant in Australia? He goes, Father's Day. And nobody wants to be there. And it's really funny. <laughs> it's really funny. And if you ask any restaurateur that question, they say, yeah, well, Mother's Day is the best, but Father's Day is definitely nowhere near the same joy. They're there because they've got to be there. It's Father's Day. It's very funny how those relationships pinpoint where we're stuck in gratitude. So guys, if you give me permission, I'd like to take you on a guided meditation. Would you allow me to do that for you, please? Would that be okay? So what you'll need to do is you don't need to face me anymore. You can do whatever, but you will need to sit two feet on the floor squarely because you're going to be in this position for about three to five minutes, I would say. So sit up nice and, nice and square in your chair, relaxed, sit comfortably, shoulders relaxed, chin into your chest slightly, Sit squarely, feel the floor under your feet. And now I'm gonna take you on a bit of a tour. And on this tour, what we're going to do together is we're gonna walk through a field of beautiful wheat, beautiful glowing golden wheat. And you're going to walk through that field. And as you walk through the field, you're going to come to a building. All of a sudden, in the middle of this beautiful, beautiful golden wheat there's a building 
and there's steps leading up to a door and I want you to open the door in your mind's eye and walk inside and you'll find yourself inside this building you're actually on stage you're going to look out on stage you're all by yourself check down underneath your feet in your imagination and see what sort of flooring the stage is look what you've got on your feet look what you're wearing in your legs look at what you're wearing on your top and now look out to the audience and you'll see an audience there there'll be a certain age they'll be dressed in a certain way and all of the people in the audience are holding a program of what it is they've come to this room to hear you talk about see if you can read the words on the program on the front of the program what all these people have come here to hear you stand on the stage and share and now draw your attention back to the stage draw back to the stage and look over in your mind's eye to stage right on stage right are all of your family your extended family anybody you've ever known anybody that's part of your extended family and I want you to see on their faces the smile of joy that they're so happy that everything that's transpired in your family from history and generations has arrived in this moment where you are standing on a stage sharing the gift that's in your heart to that audience and I want you to remember the looks on their faces of absolute joy that you are there Take your attention now over to stage left. And on stage left is every person, client, friend, foe, every person who's played a role and will play a role in the future of your life. And I want you to see them with their eyes open, reaching out to hear what you've got to say and being respectful of the fact that they've all played some role in you arriving in this moment in time look at their faces feel their feelings accept their gratitude and now i want you to turn your mind to backstage behind you on this stage is every single human being on earth who comes together in a day to make your one day possible the person in the coal mine, the person in the truck who delivers the milk, the person who makes the tires for the truck, the person who makes the electricity PowerPoints that go in your house, the person who makes this refrigerator, the person who designed the refrigerator, the person who designed all the food in the refrigerator so that it lasts, the person who desi designed the road made the road repaired the road so you can drive your car safely the person who made the school designed the curriculum so your kids can go to school the person who put a roof on the school and hammered the nails into the woodwork the person who educated the teachers that help your family become your family the person who printed the paper that made the books that made your life possible the person who makes the light bulb that makes your life possible and the one who designed the light bulb and the one who put the screw in the, the wall socket 
and run the wires through your house so that you can have a light on. And look at the people behind you. How many million people it takes to make your one day possible. And now I want you to come back to yourself. Slowly walk to the left hand side of the stage, the opposite to the one you came in. Go down a few steps and you'll find a door. Open the door slowly because it's bright, bright light into a wheat field. Go down the steps, walk out into the wheat field. Start walking through the wheat field, feeling the beautiful glowing golden sun and the warmth through your body. And in your own time now, come back to the room back to this room, start to feel your feet on the floor, your back against the chair. In your own time, take control of your breath again and open your eyes. meditation makes people pee a lot. <laughs> it must have been running water somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all very much, and uh, I'm going to be here for lunch. If you've got any questions, please come up and ask. I'm a friendly guy, I don't bite. So again, uh, Simon, thanks for the invitation. I'm really humbled. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. They can all run for a pee. <laughs>